Can you speak again? Speaking, singing through my depression. Oh, yeah, you're depressed? There was a pregnancy plot on a sitcom that really got to me. How are you? How are you, Michael? Uh, I feel kind of poopy. Uh, I, f- I feel like garbage today. Wicked bummed. Wicked bummed. Wicked yeah. bummed. Well, you did great in class last night. Thanks. You did a great little reading. Yeah, I did a little Hebrew reading. Our show is being very successful. Yeah, we have a hundred patrons now. We have a hundred patrons. How'd your interview go? Oh, it was awful. Oh no! So bad. What was bad about it? I mean, I did fine, and then I couldn't do the last little bit, which I could have done if I actually studied and prepared. Yeah. But which I didn't because, you know. Of your ambivalence about the whole endeavor. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. So... I need to, like, figure out what the hell I'm doing there. Well, this is an important time to figure out what you want to be doing. I know, but I'm 33. I'm 30 fucking three years old. Hey, Michael, guess what? What? There's no age limit. You can do it at any time. Really? Yeah, it's true. Oprah didn't even get on TV until she was, like, how old was she? She was in her 30s, I think. How old was Oprah? She got on TV. I don't know. A lot of people start doing things late in life. And I don't even think you're late in life. I think you're just like, honestly, you've only been a full adult for three years. Yeah, that's true. Give yourself some space and love. Thanks, Hava. You deserve it. Wow. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, interesting little side thing. Mm-hmm. So you remember how we had that conversation about like, what is oral Torah? Like, what's oral Torah? Right. And I was like, I thought it was just Mishnah. And you're like, no, it's Mishnah and, and Talmud. And then we're like, oh, there's different ideas. Is Mishnah and Talmud holy in the same way that like Torah is holy, you know, or sure. like, what's the level of holiness here? So I went down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out what is oral Torah. Like when people say oral Torah with a capital O and a capital mm-hmm. T, is there any consensus about what this is? So I went to everyone's favorite resource. Chabad. Yes, Chabad.org to ask a rabbi section. <laughs> Guy submitted the question. I was like, what is oral Torah? I thought Mishnah was oral Torah. Is Gemara oral Torah? Where does divine a word of God end and human interpretation begin? And I got a response back. Aww. So thank you, Rabbi, I'm assuming Rabbi, Mendel Edelman. So okay. appreciate that. What did he have to say? Well, he said, here's a pertinent quote. When the 40 days were complete, God gave Moses the Torah as it is written, and he gave it to Moses. Did God teach Moses the entire Torah? But doesn't Job describe the Torah as longer than the land and wider than the ocean? And in 40 days, does Moses learn it all? Rather, Moses was given the general principles. This is from Shemot Rabbah. Mm-hmm. I guess chapter 41, line 6, or verse 6, 41, 6. So this is, uh, I think, 1100s, 1200s at the latest drashing. Right, it's a big thing of Midrash. Yeah, so then there's this little statement here that says, this is according to the Chabad rabbi, he says, there's mm-hmm. a certain statements that originate in Mount Sinai. However, in general, the principles of exegesis, certain measurements, and certain details of the commandments are the things from Sinai. Everything else originated from after. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So uh, if you're going to say that Oral Torah with a capital O is the stuff that originated from Sinai, at least according to Chabad, it's like a smaller list. And then Maimonides actually made a list of 33 things that conservatively like originate from 
Sinai, according to his uh, argument. Is any of those Mishnah Gemara or part of Mishnah Gemara? I don't know the answer to that. I thought it was Mishnah because it is in the introduction to his commentary on the Mishnah. But then I read another paper. The actual phrase law given to Moses from Sinai is invoked in Mishnah only three times. But it's invoked in Talmud a lot more. And so this academic was saying the Tanaim, the ones who were redacting the Mishnah, were less concerned with invoking oral Torah. And it was the Amoraim, it was the redactors of the first layer of the Talmud who were more concerned with that. This makes me think of something, I think it's Rabbi B'nai Lapi of Svara who often says that uh, a lot of times the Mishnah comes in, like on, I mean, she didn't say exactly this way but the mishnah comes in on like a fucking skateboard and it's like yeah cool stuff we do whatever we want overturn torah what the fuck ever and then the gemara comes in and it's like well actually and then it just like invisibilizes it all and it like comes up and wraps up the loose ends so it doesn't seem as cool as it actually is the tanaim were just like whatever we say what we want and the gemara was like no you didn't <laughs> no no we're trying to do a thing no don't so anyway, um, I don't really know what to make of this. It's just like, mm-hmm. basically, it's funny that you can point to Tanakh and say, that's Tanakh. Mm-hmm. We've all decided that's Tanakh over there. It fits on a shelf. Mm-hmm. But like oral Torah is just like a thing that is, it's out there conceptually. and It's like porn. You know it when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know it when you hear it repeated in the bait midrash. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Hava, should we do a little quick introduction of our guests? We are here today in the virtual Hi, How Are You studio with two very prestigious guests. One of them you already know, Binya Koatz. Binya is a she-they-bish, originally from Queens, and self-identified friend of the pod. She loves diaspora with all her heart. She knows that Torah is gay, that gayness is holy, and that Hashem manifests that holiness in the world in the most miraculous ways every day. And we would like to welcome to the pod, for the very first time, long-time fan, first-time caller, Daf Ben David. Daf hails from the unceded Mohawk and Algonquin land of so-called Montreal. They are usually too shy for things like podcasts, but they really just want to be a friend of the pod too and love talking about deep dives into rad trans-Jewish histories. Hello, Daf and Benya. Daf, hi, how are you? Hello. Um, wow, I can't believe I'm getting asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> Uh, I'm good. I'm having a very delicious tea. Baruch Hashem. New flower, chrysanthemum. So we're trying it out. Oh, Ooh. chrysanthemum tea. It's very soothing. Hell yeah. Well, we're going to ruin that soothed attitude through very loud cackling over the next <laughs> 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, I'm sure. Oh, I'm ready. I'm here for this. All right, Binya, thank you for returning to the pod even after, uh, you know, all of the scandal attached to your previous appearances. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'd like to thank my legal team for getting me through the last <laughs> couple months. My friends at Wasserman and Sons. I'm good. I'm drinking an unflavored form of tea called water right now. I have my microphone on top of 
a Masechet of Talmud on top of a Jastro on top of another Masechet of Talmud. And that's how it's at mouth level right now. Kola <laughs> Gavod. Thank you. What Masechet is it? Wouldn't you like to know? Yoma <laughs> and Sanhedrin. Wow. I love that. It's like, what are you wearing? What, right. What? what are you wearing? Like, what Masechet is your microphone sitting on top of? Yeah, Yoma and Sanhedrin. And there's a sprig of rosemary and some dirty dishes. And the Bay Area, soon-to-be evening sun. Wow. Baruch Hashem. Wow. Michael, do we need to talk about how we are? Did we banter Ooh. enough in our pre our pregame? We're rough and ready. I hope so. I think we have enough. So we have you here today, illustrious guests on our pod, to talk about some specific stuff about Shabbatai Tzvi. But before we get to that specific stuff, so at the time we're recording this, our second episode of the Shabbatai series has not come out. But I want to ask, what did you think of the first Shabbatai episode? How are you feeling about Shabbatai these days? Yeah, what's your relationship like with Shabbatai? I'm loving it. I feel like I've been doing this deep dive into Shabbatai's world. And the like 200 years that followed. I listened to the first pod episode about this. It was very excellent. But I was also doing this like three-part learning series with Mark. Mark Gunnery, yeah. Yeah, Mark Gunnery through Hine New Baltimore, which is really amazing too. Like four hours of Shabtai content. So I'm just like deep in it and ready to go. Hell yeah. I really want to listen to those Mark Gunnery lectures. Someday I want to have him on the pod. He's starting his own Shabbatai podcast just about Shabbatai, which is really cool. That's how we got introduced in the Jewish world as someone was like, you Shabbatai fangirls should all know each other, you little freaks. So (laughs) we're in our own little Shabbatan heretic corner. (laughs) Binya, did you enjoy our Shabbatan episode? I did. Or have you not listened to it yet? I have. Don't. (laughs) <laughs> don't preemptively call me out. It's fine if you don't love me enough to listen to the latest episode of my podcast, then that's fine. It's fine. I pour my soul and my body and my blood and my sweat and my tears, but it's okay if you don't listen. It's fine. It's fine. Just listen to Judaism Unbound or whatever. Who cares? <laughs> she's prettier anyway. No, she's not. Nobody's prettier no, than you. No way. Thank you. Halachically, you're the prettiest. Amen, but amen. I don't know if listeners know this, but um, one of me and Chava's only fights ever was about Shabbatai. And this should go in the next Talmud. So if you're a student <laughs> who's going to write that, start taking notes. Me and Chava got into a fight at a, was it a Burmese restaurant in Providence? Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, I was there too. You were yes, there. Michael was there too. But you guys were very classy about it. I didn't realize you were fighting. Oh my gosh, we were fighting so hard. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. It's the hardest we've ever fought. The only other person there didn't even know it was happening. I thought you were doing a bit. And I was like, oh, I want to participate in this bit too. There's such a thin line between a bit and a fight when it comes mm-hmm. to us and big Talmud queers. Yeah. It was all because it started because I called Shabbatai a false messiah and then we went in on it for like the next while and what is a messiah what makes it false what about everything and blah 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 that was like not too long after i had first heard about shabbatai and was like not really feeling into it and was like this is another example um of like you know people thinking that somebody's going to save the world. Like it was compared to Zionism to me, like this thing that's going to end history and save everything. And now just over the past like half year, 
Shabbatai has become this huge positive figure in my life. I'm totally bought over to the other side. I've done multiple queer studies and readings and podcasts and deep dives. And Daph and I have sat with like seven books open at once to like figure out how gay Shabbatai is. And I'm all in. So I love the episode. I love Shabbatai. And I'm here to talk about it. Wow, incredible. Before we dive into Shabbatai, I just have to say, I would say Binya and I have had two fights. One was about Shabbatai and one was like the one time that we like hardcore made out. Our relationship was like on pause for a long time after that. And then it came back as a really strong friendship. Right. Yeah, that's true. I remember those fights with love because we've grown stronger from them. It's just all adds to our backstory. You need scenes like that for the biopic, you know? Yeah. The reason I asked you all specifically to be on the show. So we have three episodes. The first one is Shabbatai, Failed Messiah, The History. The one that hasn't come out yet is going to be Shabbatai, Failed Messiah, The Impact. And this one is going to be called Shabbatai, Failed Messiah, The Queer Icon. I asked you two on because not too long ago, you two both discovered a treasure trove of queer Shabbatai liturgy. And I was wondering if maybe you, Daph, would be willing to tell us a little bit about what it is that you found, and then we can dive into the content of what you found. Well, actually, Binya found it. I just realized I don't actually know how you found this book, but it's definitely a huge part of our lives now. (laughs) Now that you've both converted to Orthodox Shabbatane. (laughs) Yeah, I can hop in really quickly. I found it from a book called Dybbuk's and Jewish Women, which was referenced somewhere else in the world. I do not know where I found Dybbuk's and Jewish Women, but Dybbuk's and Jewish Women has a little section which very erroneously claims that Shabbatai was the first feminist in the whole world, um, which is a (laughs) wild claim, like a truly incredible claim. And then reference the fact that Shabbatai was androgynous and was like, go look at all this Ladino poetry, which Daph can tell you about. The piece in Dybbuk's and Jewish Women says both that Shabbatai was secretly of the female sex and also considered by others to be androgynous. And there's two sources there. And so a lot of this has just been reading many, many footnotes. So you found this book of Latino poetry, liturgical poetry, Latino liturgical poetry, or is it just whatevs? It's kind of like fangirl posts on Tumblr. It's like, it's just like true, unadulterated Shabbatai love poems. When were they written? So the book is called The Book of Hymns and Praises. Um, So I don't know what, if that's liturgy, liturgical poetry, but maybe. And it was written in Saloniki, in Thessalonica, in Greece, I think in the end of the 1600s, beginning of the 1700s. I'm not exactly sure, but it was one of the Salonika sects that wrote it. Got it. So like in the hot, fresh, post-Shabbatai era. Definitely. Hell yeah. So what did these Shabbatai stands have to say about our queen? Yeah, they talk about so many things, about Shabbatai entering the ocean and fighting off demons, Shabbatai being both male and female and embodying the Shekhinah and different elements and genders of God and about Kabbalah and crowns and all these like gematria numerology games of playing with Shabtai's name. And it's really wild. We've only read like maybe seven out of 250. Wow. We're working on it. And this is all in Ladino. So you're going 
page by page translating this Ladino text? The Dibix and Jewish women cites a set of these poems. It's like Shabbatai, the first feminist in the whole world, was considered by some as androgynous or secretly of the female sex. Cites Ladino love poems for Shabbatai numbers like two, seven, blah, blah, blah. So we just went to the like ones that it cited and like just read through them until we found the first one where it said the words, it often uses the terms macho y fembra, which are like mask and femme. Y beba dai el es macho y fembra is like one of the things. And obviously he is masculine and feminine is like one of these lines. And then we like knew that that phrase macho y fembra was like one to look out for so we like looked out for it in each one of these poems we like looked out for those words in ladino or in the hebrew translation that's provided in the copy of the book we found and then found all the lines that like said that shabbatai was macho and fembra or that she was called there's one that says esther hamalka se llama shabbatai tzvi shechina shabbatai is called Esther the queen, Shabbatai Tzvi is the Shekhinah, the feminine god. So, and just like kept finding all these little love poems to Shabbatai's gender. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So in this little world of poems, in this little Shabbatayan sect, Shabbatai's transgression of gender norms is not just sort of a passive quality. It's like actively part of their holiness and their spiritual work in the world. Oh, totally. And the really cool thing is there's this one poem that makes reference to other transistors within it. Wow. I'm trying to find it so I can read it directly. Um, it's very beautiful. Should I read it in Ladino? Yes, please. And then translate it? Okay. Goel Shabtai Yaakov Rogamos Pedrona Anos Sod Androginos so Goel Shabbatai is like Shabbatai, a redeemer, who is called also Yaakov. Forgive us, secret androgynous, which is slightly different. Dibix in Jewish women says androgynous, but androgynous as like a sex or gender category in the Talmud is not how we understand androgyny today. It's more like both male and female not neither or not unclear mm -hmm. and then it says con avram yama so also called avram and it does reference sara and so maybe that's like avram and sara but it also might be like one of shabtai's wives sara so it's a bit unclear but there's definitely yaakov and and avram Binya, if you want to go like todo trends into that it's like what the connection is Basically, this poem says that Shabbatai is secretly a bi-gendered being compared to the other poems which say she's obviously masculine and feminine. So there's like some obvious transness and some secret transness in Shabbatai. And then in this specific poem, Shabbatai, like in the other poem, got named as Esther, Queen Esther, and as Shekhinah. And in this poem, Shabbatai gets named as Abraham and Jacob and Sarah. And then what Daph is referencing is the whole other strand of rabbinic work, which says that Abraham was born of an indeterminate gender, this gender sex category called Tum Tum. Abraham and Sarah were both born that way, according to the Talmud, and only became male and female when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 80. And that's why they couldn't have children before that point. There's a whole other history of Jacob being trans, or at least a gender bending character, because Jacob is hairless, while his brother 
Esau is hairy and Jacob is loved by the mom and Esau is loved by the dad and Jacob stays at home and Esau goes to the hunt. There's all these like traditionally feminine signifiers that are applied to Jacob. And so all these other things are like swimming in the pond along with this poem. Shabbatai is being like linked to that whole history and being explicitly named as a secret androgynous person and an obviously masculine and feminine person. Wow. So on this line where it says like Yaakov Rogamos, like this person is also called Yaakov, there is a footnote just to make sure that you don't miss this. And it says, oh, the Mashiach is also called Yaakov and is also the name of Elohe Israel, the God of Israel, who has the counterparts of masculine and Shekhinah, feminine, which all encompass this secret androgynous. And those footnotes were written by Gershom Sholem, who wrote like that 1000 page book on Shabbatai. So I want to ask Binya a question. I, I'm kind of surprised I haven't asked you this yet, but probably because I was just so excited for our fight to be over. This is all like incredibly amazing. And I'm so glad you both brought this work into my life. But before you were a, a pretty staunch anti-Shabbatean. And I think part of the reason that was hard for me, I talked about in a previous episode, I think oftentimes, even in communities of sort of radical Jews, when Shabbatai comes up, the most radical Jews become as conservative as a regular like shulgoer. How did this exploration of Shabbatai's gender and all the mysticism of that, how did that change your relationship to the Shabbatean mythos? Yeah, I think that a lot of the queer Jewish project today, as I understand it and the ones that I'm a part of, is claiming really vociferously that our tradition is trans and is queer and is radical. And in response to forces that try to kick us out of Judaism or say, like, go take your leftist politics elsewhere. You can't be gay and Jewish. Choose a side, right? And we're like really vociferously being like, no, 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 no. Judaism is rad. I don't have to go elsewhere for my radness. And that includes like Judaism and its halacha and its so many projects to claim the radicality in the tradition as it's been received because that tradition has been stripped of its radicality and claimed to be conservative. And then I think the pushback coming from queers or anybody who's in that similar project is that Shabbatai's project and especially like the Frankism that came after it and stuff like that was so much about the explicit opposite. It's like, we have to undo all of halacha. Everything that is an Avera is now a mitzvah and everything that's a mitzvah is now an Avera. That flipping just brings up a lot of the similar things of like just leaving Judaism in the first places, which is what we're told to do versus like, you know, being like, actually, we don't have to say that all of Eras are mitzvahs to be rad, we can like look into the mitzvahs that, as they are and find radicality there because like, you know, the Torah commands us X, Y, and Z thing that we can drosh as gay or as radical. And so it feels like a different project responding to a different thing and like as two kind of different pathways to liberation, right? Like overturning mountains versus like finding the radicality that's there. I like fell for 
Shabbatai as another possibility, not necessarily the one that I'm going down right now, which I'm very much in that project you're referencing, which is like reclaiming the radicality of our tradition. But I just also view Shabbatai even in their total overturning of so much of tradition as part of that tradition itself. And as like a transcestor within that space who like did a lot of beautiful things in that way that like messy, huge overturnings can often do. So I think that's awesome. Daph and Michael, I'm curious what one like, what do you think about Shabbatai as queer icon? You know what? No, that's it. That's the only part. What do you think about Shabbatai as queer icon, both of you? Well, I didn't know anything about Shabbatai before. Uh, and I didn't really like have any relationship to like, what is Mashiach? What is a Messiah? What is all this? I don't have like an opinion on like, oh, yes, Messiah, no Messiah, false. No, I just, for me, what's been really amazing about this experience of learning about Shabtai is one, like being able to do that through the lens of Ladino and like the three of us have studied Ladino together and like what becomes available to us as we reclaim our tradition. Like that's been so powerful. Like I learned this language of my ancestors and then I find like trans poetry in that language. Like that's incredible, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels so important to know all of our transistors and getting to do that in community. You know, I feel like we also just have so much fun talking about this and it's exciting and we like lift each other up as we do it too. So that's kind of my relationship to this. Yeah. Michael? Um, I'm just, you know, my head is exploding. Yeah. I'm a little dumbfounded. <laughs> I was wanting to ask you because so often you're sort of the one who pushes back against readings of of queer celebrity ancestors not because i think you don't love them because i think you do like love that shit you love oh, that yeah. shit as much as me but i think out of the two of us you're the one that's maybe a little more skeptical of reading these kinds of things out of our ancestors which is fair because i think that's an important like piece to have in the room I get very excited when we have the the knife in the cheese or the mm-hmm. the, the smoking gun. Right. The smoking, the smoking gun. gay gun. The smoking estradiol injector. This Ladino poetry is very gay and these mm-hmm. people clearly think that Sabatai, Shabatai, Mr. Zv, Mrs. V, Mix V mm-hmm. uh is is trans in in some way that may be similar or maybe very different from how we think of what transness is. We don't know if the Zv thought of themselves this way, but I will say this. The Zv is definitely very very gay and they did one of the gayest things that I think the quintessential gay thing in my mind, which is to flame out in all the <laughs> senses of the word. Uh, iconic world changing everyone loved them and wove quite a persona this is bigger than share <laughs> oh yeah absolutely share fucking wishes share batai <laughs> this is like cleopatra level drama and i love it and i think that is gay the way you are framing it makes me think i'm imagining shabatai as like dorian Corey at the end of paris is burning Sort of like the last drag queen left of the scene. Like, if you shoot an arrow and it goes real high, good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I, I love that. In part because I'm afraid of flaming out myself. So it's like I really, I really am attracted to the, to the flamers out there. So what you fear. Yeah. What I mm-hmm. fear, yes. Right. First of all, I want to suggest that Shabbatai uses Tzvi, Tzvi, pronouns. Um, <laughs> 
And the other thing, basically, I love this, Chava. You said this to me during one of our Shabbatai conversations, which was, it kind of sounds like all these Salonikian Jews just saw their first trans person and flipped the fuck out and was like, you must be the Messiah. Like, literally, I can't imagine, like, what you are is so incredible and earth-shaking to me that it must be the end of the world and God has come back. Yeah. And I think, like you said, really incredibly, there are elements where there's like this this mysterious secret transness and there's elements of like obvious transness that are both being claimed by these different poets in honor of Shabbatai. And either way, neither is a shame, neither is a negative thing. And actually, they're all positive things and proof of Tzfer's messianic nature. Mm-hmm. And that transness is a positive sign of a messianic figure. Like if somebody claims to be Messiah, you first check, are they trans? Because that's like an (laughs) obvious sign of whether or not they're even in the running. And this was like kind of that ancient trans exultant wisdom that I think has been so tamped down by colony and by Western thought where like us seeing a trans person is not a sign of disgust or shame or embarrassment or attack, but rather like a sign that literally the God is signaling the world's over and paradise is coming. Yeah, Ugh, I love that. I'm just hearkening a little bit back. This is like circling back to some things we were talking about earlier when you talked about the two queer paths in relation to Judaism. And I just want to complicate that binary a little bit just because I see that, I do. And also, I don't think, especially from what I've read in the primary sources, that Shabbatai viewed themselves as even as leaving Judaism. I mean, even when they converted to Islam, like it seems like from the historical record that Judaism was always with them and that their journey was always about their personal relationship with Hashem. And so they were sort of doing this overturning mountains thing. But something I admire about them is I feel like they had the conviction to have their vision for their Judaism and to take it like as far as it could go so far that it was unrecognizable, you know, to the world as as it existed at that time. And I think that sort of audacity with relationship to our tradition is one of the main things I like to sort of invoke into my life from Shabbatai. I will also say that I think it was more the Frankists who came after Shabbatai that really just did kind of like, kind of felt like super messy. Like they were just kind of choosing whatever religion would work best in the moment. Like either it was Islam or it was Judaism or it was Christianity. And they were just kind of like figuring out which like power allegiances would like work in the moment. And so it it feels more like it, it came a bit later after Shabbatai. The sophomore album is always sort of a slump. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But it does include a lot of Polish orgies. So if you're looking out for that, (laughs) I think that's really interesting. I was just studying earlier today and came across this idea. Basically, there's some giant earth shaking changes to Judaism. The rabbis are like, that's impossible, or that's not right, or that's not good, or like, why would you even do that? And there's some giant earth-shaking changes to Judaism that the rabbis are like, this is obvious and clear and from the Torah itself. And like the whole project of rabbinic Judaism itself is a complete 
overturning of Torah in its own essence. Like Torah says, go build a temple and sacrifice a goat to say hi to me. And the rabbis are like, what that really means is like wrap these little leather thongs around your forehead and put tassels on and say magic spells three times a day. And then, you know, (laughs) wave a chicken around your head and whatever. It's really important to know that there isn't a Judaism that even could theoretically survive 3000 years without giant revolutionary shifts that, like you said, make it totally unrecognizable to people and shift Judaism's nature. That's how it's survived for millennia of diaspora. And so I don't think it's categorically bad to audaciously do a bunch of things. But you know, when you shoot for the moon, you land among the stars, but also sometimes you end up on a whole nother planet. It might not be the best planet to end up on. I didn't (laughs) fully think through this um, this metaphor. But I think more of what was coming up for me around Shabbatianism and Frankism and stuff like that is, is a thing I feel about uh, things I've seen in rabbinic Judaism, like when rabbinic Judaism throws away the Yovel and the cancellation of debts. And it's just like, this is impractical. Mm-hmm. We can't cancel debts every seven and 50 years. This is n- no longer practice. Or a similar thing when a Jew is like a queer Jew today is like, oh, this is patriarchal. Like tefillin is categorically patriarchal, blah, blah, blah. It's categorically patriarchal. I'm throwing it away. I feel a pain, you know, I feel a pain that like, oh, that was one drosh away from being the best part of your life. And there is always that tension between the two. So there's a gorgeousness in the radicality of upturning a lot because that's every single Jew who's practicing any sort of Judaism is the product of that overturning of a previous generation, whether they know it or not. And there's also when you do that, you're necessarily going to accidentally throw out a little thing extra than you should have thrown out or that some generation future is going to want to bring back. I mean, I think at the very least, if you upturn a thousand things, you're subject to the criticism of posterity. (laughs) We all get to decide whether we liked that or not. Yeah, but she was an she was an icon no matter what. But yes, definitely yeah. up for that. Well, I think it's time for us to wrap up. If either of you have any closing thoughts or anything you want to plug, this is your airtime. I don't know if I have anything to plug specifically, but I I mean, other than just Shabtai poetry. But I will <laughs> say that there's actually like a whole other book with like references to Shabtai's transness that we didn't even get to. So there's like actually just so much Hell yeah. more. Wait, tell them the little thing from it, though. The ichor. like The ichor. The essence yeah. is... <laughs> there's a really beautiful line. So there's another document that was written by... It's kind of like a compilation of things that Jacob Frank said. And there's a number of them that reference Shabtai's trans femininity specifically. And it links us back to this incredible book of Ladino poetry. And it says, La Signora Vino en Tevel which means the woman has come into the world. Wow. And that's in reference to Shabbatai. And says there that Shabbatai's of the secretly female sex, which I don't know if that means that Shabbatai is trans mask or trans femme or outside of all these categories. Like that's up for queer is queer than I decide on. The one other shit I wanted to stir before we go, Shabbatai or Sabbatai and... Why, why do you, why do y'all have the hard S? I say fucking Shabbatai because we don't say Sabbat Shalom. That's what I'm saying. But y'all's podcast has been saying Shabbatai the whole time. I always say Shabbatai. The title of the episode says Shabbatai. Michael's been unduly influenced by Sam, I think. Oh, whose first uh... name starts with S. They're not Sham. That's why they do it. Sham, Sham be a Shetty. Uh, um... Yes, that is what I have to say. <laughs> Should we close them out, Hava? Yes. 
listeners, please call the Townwood hotline at 401-484-1619 and leave us a voicemail or send us a text. Or you can ask us questions anonymously on our website at hihowareyou.com. As always, we appreciate and value your support in joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash Chava de Cordova. It is only through your contributions that we are able to make such wonderfully delicious gay content as this. Mm-hmm. This content is gushing. I'm going to lie down after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a nap. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. It has been an honor and a pleasure to talk with you in public. Shavuot uh, <laughs> to all our listeners. Shavuot. 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 Shavuot.